Hi, and welcome to the Zero to Four podcast, where I talk about topics to help you to prepare for, thrive in, as well as recover from pregnancy by sharing with you evidence-based information about pregnancy, as well as answers to your everyday questions. I'm your host, Dr. Christina Pinnock. Hi, and welcome back to the Zero to Four podcast. It's Dr. Christina Pinnock here. And so happy that you've joined me for another episode. So on today's episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking about genetic screening in pregnancy. And I really want to make the topic a little bit more palatable and easy to understand for my listeners. But before I delve in, I just want to take a moment to say how grateful I am that you're listening and how grateful I am to be sharing all of my knowledge every week with you. It's definitely one of my favorite things that I do every week. And my hope is for this podcast to really help you to enter pregnancy or be in pregnancy more confident, more informed, and just a lot more clear on all the different things that are available to consider in pregnancy. And so today we'll talk about genetic screening. And I'm not going to lie, it can be a confusing topic for many patients and even for some doctors. So I do want to take a moment to just break it down and talk about the screening options that we have available for um, everyone in pregnancy. So today we'll be talking about, as I mentioned, the options for screening, why we do screening, the things that we screen for, as well as the most common tests that we currently use for sort of the first step in the screening process. But before we delve in, I did want to talk about some of the basics so that we have the same language that we're using when we think about all of the testing that we're doing and all of the things that we're testing for. And so if we look at the human body, each cell has DNA in it. And so each cell has genes that tell it what to do. So your eye cells have genetic material in them that tells it how to be an eye. Similarly, your skin cells has genetic material in it that tells it how to be a skin cell. But every cell in the body has DNA present in the form of chromosomes. And the body has 46 chromosomes present. And we get 23 chromosomes from our mother in the form of the egg. And we get 23 chromosomes from the father in the form of the sperm. And of those total of 46 chromosomes, we have two sex chromosomes, so either an XX, which is a genetic female, or an XY, which is a genetic male. Overall, there are 46 chromosomes present. The way I like to think about the chromosomes as well as explain it to my patients is that I really think of the chromosome material as 46 pages in a book. And so you have two of each of the 23 pages. So you have two of page one, two of page two, two of page three, all the way to a total of 46, but it's really in 23 pairs. And, you know, if you look at the entire book as having 46 pages, when we look at those pages in detail, we can see the pages broken down into paragraphs, sentences, and words, and even letters. And so when we do our genetic screening test, the first step is we screen for how many pages are present in the book. And so that's kind of the concept I wanted to share with you to ensure that you understood going into this episode so things can be a little bit more clear. And so, as I mentioned, our typical screening test screens for any extra chromosomes. So do you have any extra pages in the book? Do you have 46 
pages or do you have 47 or 48 pages? And so that's sort of the basis of our initial screening tests. So the most common chromosomal abnormalities that we screen for in pregnancy is trisomy 21. So that's if you have an extra of page 21. So instead of having two pages for 21, you would have three. And that tends to occur relatively commonly in the general population at a frequency of about one in 700. The second most common chromosomal abnormality that we screen for is trisomy 18. So that's if you have an extra page of page 18, and that occurs at a frequency of one in 3,000 in a general population. And then the third most commonly seen trisomy is trisomy 13, and we see that at a frequency of about one in 600. So again, that's if you have an extra copy of chromosome 13 or an extra of page 13. We can also see abnormalities in the sex chromosome. So typically, if you're a genetic female, you're an XX, or if you're a genetic male, you're XY. But we can see some differences in even the sex chromosome. So there can be an XXY or even just an X. So instead of having two Xs, you can have one. And those are some of the main chromosomal differences that we think about when we do our screening. And sometimes I get questions from my patients regarding, so doc, so why does this even happen? Like, if my baby's meant to have 46 chromosomes, like, why does it have 47? Why does it have an extra chromosome or an extra page? And most commonly, this occurs randomly when that sperm and egg initially meet. And it's usually not something that anyone can generally control, predict, or prevent. But we do sometimes see some of these chromosomal abnormalities, particularly trisomy 21, occur at higher rates for women who are older in pregnancy, so older maternal age, or if you yourself have changes in the way your genes are arranged, that can also cause these trisomies to occur at a higher frequency. One thing I did want to point out about trisomy 21 is that although maternal age can impact the frequency of how this occurs, most cases of Down syndrome or trisomy 21 that we see are actually seen in babies born to moms that are younger. And that's because they're just more younger patients that have babies in the population. So that just covers some of the basics of what I wanted to talk about in terms of being on the same page and using the same vocabulary. So next we'll talk about the three main things I wanted to share with you about genetic screening. So the first is I'll talk about why we even offer genetic screening. So we offer genetic screening to allow for the assessment of each person's individual risk of carrying a pregnancy with a chromosomal abnormality. You know, these chromosomal abnormalities can be significant if depending on the chromosome that is either duplicated or there is an extra one of, it can actually cause pregnancy loss. But some of the chromosomal abnormalities that are compatible with life, it can also cause life-limiting conditions or even significantly impact the quality and length of life of the newborn. And so we do like to offer screening because it can help us understand the underlying risk of a individual carrying a pregnancy at risk of any of these conditions. And this testing is offered to everyone in pregnancy, regardless of age. And the main thing I wanted to kind of talk about our stress is that we offer these tests. And so after discussion with your doctor or even a genetic counselor, which is a provider with advanced training in genetic conditions, 
You do have the right to accept this screening or even decline it depending on your personal understanding of your underlying risk as well as your personal preferences. But for the most part, we offer genetic screening to everyone in pregnancy regardless of age. Now, the next thing we think about is what are the options available for screening and what what are we screening for? And so there are a lot of options that are available for genetic screening and they've actually evolved over the years in medicine and they've evolved in terms of the accuracy and some other characteristics of the test that we as your provider will use to determine is this a good test. So some options for testing include cell-free DNA screening, which is perhaps the most commonly used screening at the moment. We also have options such as first trimester screening, which is a combination of a blood test that your doctor can do combined with an ultrasound that looks at the nuchal area of the baby, so the area by the baby's neck. We also have second trimester screening options and different iterations of all of those that depends on really when your doctor would give you the results. And so I'd say overall, there are a lot of screening options available and they vary in terms of what they test for as well as the accuracy of the test. But right now, the most commonly used option for genetic screening is the cell-free DNA. And this is the test that, you know, if you go to the doctor, they'll talk with you about it. And it also can give you information regarding the sex of the pregnancy. So if you're having a genetically male or female uh, fetus, that test can also tell you that. And so that's probably the most familiar part of the test for most of my my patients. And so the cell-free DNA test, as I mentioned, screens for chromosomal abnormalities. So having extra copies of chromosome 21, 18, or 13. And when we have an extra copy, we call it a trisomy. And so the test screens for trisomy 21, trisomy 18, or trisomy 13. And it can also look at some differences in the sex chromosome. So that XX or that XY, if there are any differences in those. I did want to take a moment to talk a little bit further about cell-free DNA screening because I think it's a really cool and interesting test. So over the course of my training and my career, I've seen the options for genetic screening really blossom. And cell-free DNA was definitely one of those moments in medicine where, you know, we stood in awe of pregnancy and the maternal condition. So cell-free DNA is performed by taking a maternal blood sample and by sampling some of mom's blood, we can actually pick up DNA fragments from the pregnancy in order to test for these various genetic conditions. We generally can do this test after around nine to 10 weeks. Generally, most providers do it after 10 weeks, and then it can be done at any time during the rest of the pregnancy. And the interesting part about this test is that The cells picked up from the maternal circulation actually come from the placenta that are finishing up their usual life cycle and are dying off. So there are a number of these cells that are present in the maternal blood that we can then indirectly test the baby's genetic material with, which is extremely cool. The amount of these cells actually increases as the pregnancy progresses. The amount can actually vary depending on a person's BMI, dependent on medications, the race of the person, and it can also vary depending on if there's actually an underlying abnormality in the genetic makeup of the pregnancy. And so 
It's a really commonly used test that everyone should be familiar with. And the reason why it's so commonly used currently is because it is a really good test in terms of the ways that we evaluate the quality of a test. So it does a great job of screening for these abnormal chromosomes. So it has over a 99% detection rate for trisomy 21, trisomy 18, as well as trisomy 13. In addition to that, when we also look at some other criteria of how well a test performs, we see that it performs very well. So the way we evaluate how well a test performs is we look at the sensitivity of a test. Say, for instance, we have 100 pregnancies that we're using this test for, and three of those 100 pregnancies are affected by Down syndrome. When we look at the sensitivity of the test, we're looking at how well does that test do at picking up those three pregnancies that have Down syndrome. Then we look at the specificity of the test, which tells us how well that test does at telling us that those other 97 pregnancies actually don't have Down syndrome. And so we look at a test sensitivity to say, how well are you doing at picking up things that are abnormal? And the specificity, which tells us how well this test does at picking up things that are normal. And so when we look at the cell-free DNA test overall, it has excellent or very, very high sensitivity and specificity, which we like to evaluate in every test. So based on these metrics, it's considered to be a very good test. But even so, no test is perfect. And there is a small rate that the test can actually pick up something abnormal when it's actually normal. And for cell-free DNA, this happens very, very rarely. So 0.1% of the time, which is extremely low. And that's another reason why we really like using this test. The next thing I'll talk about is what are the potential next steps if your test either comes back positive or negative. So if your test comes back positive or high risk for any of the trisomies that the test screens for, usually you'll talk with your doctor and the next step is to both talk with your doctor as well as potentially a genetic counselor to understand exactly what the test screened positive for and you'll likely undergo further evaluation with an ultrasound for screening for any structural changes in the way the pregnancy has developed and you may be offered diagnostic testing to assess specifically the cells of the pregnancy. So as I mentioned earlier, cell-free DNA is an indirect test. So we test cells from the pregnancy indirectly through maternal blood. A diagnostic test would be a test that directly samples some of the amniotic fluid from around the baby, such as with an amniocentesis. Now, if your test is negative, that is great news and we generally feel comfortable in the results that you're at a lower risk of having any of the abnormalities that the cell-free DNA test screen for. But one thing to remember is that it's a screening test and the pregnancy has 46 chromosomes and these are just the general pages in the book. And so this test screens for any abnormalities in just three of those pages. In addition to that, it doesn't screen any further for the details of those pages, such as the paragraph, the sentences, or the words. And so anytime you have any sort of test like this in pregnancy, while we can be happy about the negative results, we always like to just mention that there is a small residual risk that the test didn't 
detect everything that could be going on genetically with the pregnancy. Overall, cell-free DNA is still considered one of the first go-tos for genetic screening because it's the best that we have at this moment at detecting any extra chromosomes or extra pages. And it can be performed anytime in pregnancy after nine or 10 weeks. And although it's not perfect, it does have a pretty low rate of false positive results or normal results that are coming up abnormal in the test. Downsides to it is that it is still just a screening test. And sometimes the amount of DNA in the maternal blood sample is not enough to actually carry out the testing that we do want to test for. And then rarely, it can also give us some information that we're not looking for. And so what I mean by this is sometimes if the test comes back as a positive screen and we do further testing and we find that the pregnancy is genetically normal and we go back and we look at mom's health, it can actually give us some hints at some abnormalities that could be in mom's own DNA, as well as some underlying conditions in mom's health, such as malignancies. And so those are some of the downsides of doing the test. The last thing I wanted to talk about is what our genetic screening test does not test for. So specifically what cell-free DNA does not screen for. I already mentioned earlier that it only focuses on those three chromosomes, as well as the sex chromosomes of XX or XY. But most importantly, I wanted to just highlight that it mainly just screens for those extra pages in the book and it does not have the ability for most tests to look for any small errors in the paragraphs, the sentences, or even the words and letters of the book if we use that analogy. So it can just look at the overall chromosome count. It doesn't screen in detail at the genetic material for any differences that could have occurred. And lastly, genetic screening tests such as cell-free DNA does not test for things like autism. And I get this question a lot, you know, whether it's a friend or a neighbor or a family member who has had a child affected with autism, you know, there is understandable concern regarding the diagnosis. And I sometimes get questions about what are the ways you can screen for or test for autism and pregnancy. And I just wanted to take a moment here to say that cell-free DNA screening and really any other screening tests or diagnostic tests in pregnancy cannot detect things like autism prenatally. Before we go, I did want to just touch on two quick topics that I also often get questions about. And the first is actually genetic testing options for twin pregnancies. And for twin pregnancies, depending on the type of twin pregnancy that someone's carrying, the Twins can either have identical genetic information or very similar genetic information, similar to siblings. And your specific genetic screening and testing options will definitely vary depending on the details of your pregnancy. But we can use cell-free DNA screening in twin pregnancies, specifically for trisomy 21. But the other trisomies, such as 18 and 13, don't have very accurate detection rates. And so it's not as accurate to test for those trisomies with cell-free DNA screening. And the other thing I wanted to briefly talk about is pregnancies that are conceived with IVF who've had some pre-implantation genetic testing done on the embryo. So when someone undergoes in vitro fertilization or IVF, the egg and sperm are combined and implanted into the womb for the pregnancy to be carried by that person. 
Now, prior to the implantation or the placement of the embryo into the uterus or the womb, the cells in the embryo can be tested for certain genetic conditions. And theoretically, with that testing, one may think that you would be at a lower risk of having abnormal chromosomes in the pregnancy. That's not necessarily incorrect to think, but as of now, we still do recommend that you still continue your usual genetic screening in pregnancy because based on the data that we have about pregnancies that were conceived with IVF and pre-implantation genetic testing, we don't have enough information to say that testing is sufficient for prenatal screening at this time. So that was mostly what I wanted to share about genetic screening in pregnancy. We talked about some of the basics of genetic screening in terms of the basic science and chromosomes behind the screening. We talked about why we offer genetic screening and one of the many options for genetic screening, which is cell-free DNA. Now, the information that I shared in this episode is really around blood testing in terms of genetic screening. Your doctor may also recommend an ultrasound either in the first or second trimester, which can also be used to screen for chromosomal abnormalities. Now, an ultrasound can detect small differences in how the pregnancy or the baby has structurally developed, so in how the organs have developed. And we found that some things that we identify in these structural differences can actually be associated with certain chromosomal abnormalities. And so that is also another option and component of your genetic screening that your doctor can offer you. Stay tuned for future episodes on ultrasound screening options that I'll, I'll be doing in the future. But overall, I hope this episode was informative for you and that you could enter pregnancy a little bit more informed about your genetic screening options. So you can talk with your doctor or your genetic counselors in a little bit more of an informed way about the overall screening options and what we're looking for and use it as a good talking point to get any of your questions answered. So as always, it's a pleasure to share my knowledge with you. Do me a favor, if you've learned anything from this episode, just leave me a quick comment on Instagram or send me a message on Instagram with something new that you've learned. And until next time, I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of the Zero to Four podcast, please share it with a friend as well as leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast so we can reach more women just like yourself. You can also find me on Instagram at Dr. Christina Pinnock, where you can share any thoughts about the show or any topics that you'd like to see me cover in the future. So I'll see you next week on the Zero to Four podcast.